Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. And today we are discussing our newest game, Ask Iris About the Usual Suspects. And I should also note that this is the first episode of Christopher McQuarrie Month. This is in honor of the writer's strike that at the time of this recording is still going on. And we figured that since every summer we do a themed month, past months have included James Cameron month, Nicolas Cage month, that we would choose this year a writer. And so we chose Christopher McQuarrie. And you'll find that this themed month will culminate in a very special new release written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Yeah, but if we're honoring Christopher McQuarrie this month, why would we choose the usual suspects? He took home an Oscar for the usual suspects. And it was only his second feature film screenplay. Man, that's like Tarantino level, right? Right. In terms of acclaim for stuff that you had written. To get public acclaim and and box office success for one of your screenplays, but to win the Oscar for the second one you put out, that's crazy. Yeah, it's a big deal. And then Christopher McQuarrie has gone on to direct, and he's had some incredible, very successful partnerships with actor Tom Cruise. This is adjacent to my Tom (laughs) Crenaissance. Christopher McQuarrie is Tom Cruise's new Paula Wagner. Yeah. What happened to Paula Wagner? I think Christopher McQuarrie killed her or had her killed. <laughs> well, if you if The Usual Suspects is a glimpse into Christopher McQuarrie's mind, then maybe he's capable of that. Why does The Usual Suspects deserve an Oscar for Best Screenplay? And thus Christopher McQuarrie. <sighs> I know what you're doing. I know that you're setting me up for the this is all a dream cheat. We've talked about this in a number of reviews. And so don't try and pretend that you're going to ask me questions when you're really just going to be angling me toward this ultimate point that you want to make. <laughs> well, you suggested it, but it took 30 years for me to get it. And in this, it all clicked. I mean, I had a lot of repeat viewings and setup, but then I got the usual suspects. Oh, pray tell, older brother. What is this is not ask Wesley about the usual suspects. Why? What what are you missing? What do you need? Well, I mean, I can relate to you in the sense that a lot more stuff made sense to me this time around. I can't remember the last time I saw the usual suspects, but it really felt like I was watching it as an adult for the first time. Yeah. One of the all time watchers that you have really no choice but to view the first probably couple of times, even knowing what you know about Kaiser Soze, it was, it had to be a washer. Like there's, I don't think there's any way to keep up. Everyone fully admitted in the cast that they read it and were thoroughly confused. (laughs) And and that scared some people off of the movie and that, you know, encouraged some other people. I don't know that anyone could say from first reading, I got it, let's do it. Cause uh, Hmm. it takes, I think it took Christopher McQuarrie himself like 19 drafts or something. Wow. But maybe that's why it's a movie that keeps on giving. After all of these years, it can still reveal itself to me. 19 drafts, really? Something like that. Don't quote me on that. It was in the in the double digits for sure. How do we manage Kevin Spacey in this conversation? Uh, this is 
years before, but not exactly outside of the realm of misconduct. There are some rumors of misconduct as far back as 1995, before he was a thing. Hmm. We just treat it as the Kevin Spacey as he was. Which is to say a mousy little creepy guy who keeps turning up in 1995 (laughs) as the bad guy. Spoiler. (laughs) Was that a seven reference? Yeah. Seven came out the same year. And these are, I mean, this is kind of a detective movie. Seven is certainly a detective movie from the other side of it. But based on seven, I actually cracked the usual suspects. I solved the usual suspects upon first viewing in 1995 and extends all the way to the current day. Wait, what does that mean? In 95, you triangulated these movies? It sounds unbelievable, but I got, I understood who Kaiser Soze was the first time I watched it. Wait, 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 wait. How su- how long into the viewing? Within a minute of the actual film. What? Yeah. You knew who Kaiser Soze was the moment you started watching The Usual Suspects? If you don't know who Kaiser Soze is, get the hell out of here. What are you doing? I'm assuming you know everybody has to know going into this discussion or review because this is maybe one of the biggest turns for one of the scariest villains in all in all history. So I was watching this movie and I just watched Seven probably a couple of times in 1995 upon its release. Baby Seal called me over and was like, you got to watch this movie. And I was like, okay. And we're watching it. Baby Seal? Yeah, that's Lance Fisher. Okay. And so we're, we're watching it and we're flashing forward to the boat scene, you know, before the explosion and, and Keaton supposedly dying and Kaiser Soze climbs do down the ladder. Why you say Keaton is supposedly dying? Why do you say supposedly dying? Well, because it's possible that Keaton was Kaiser Soze. That was always put forward. So somebody in a trench coat and hat does this weird signature awkward climb down the boat ladder, like the rungs of the ladder. And I was like, oh, that's Kevin Spacey. Because I knew Kevin Spacey no. was in in this movie. And he climbs down the ladder exactly the way the then unknown John Doe climbs down the ladder to escape from Brad Pitt in Seven. <gasps> and it was an offhanded comment. And I was like, oh, that's Kevin Spacey. And then that thought flitted from my mind. And, it w- and, and I went through the movie like everybody else. And then sat up at the end and was like, whoa. But still, I, I called it. That's crazy. You you said because of the physical performance of climbing down the ladder in seven, you knew that Kaiser Soze was Kevin Spacey? It's so weird. It was awkward and like this weird sideways kind of thing where he grabs the, the rungs in a weird way. It's very weird. It was a connection my brain made in a movie universe that has rarely happened since. That just happened to... Bizarro yeah. world. You know, I was looking very closely and intently at Kaiser Soze's face when he's almost clearly revealed on the boat in the last scene. It doesn't look like Kevin Spacey. It's not. When he's got his hands and he's lighting his lighter and stuff and he's like, how you doing, Keaton? Because he puts on a dumb voice. That's Gabriel Byrne, who plays Keaton, dressed as Kaiser Soze. Uh, Playing against himself? Yes. Because, again, it was all supposed to be a fabricated story. It's all it was all a dream. So was wait. But was it? But was it? But first, was Keaton in the Kaiser Soze hat and trench coat 
at the end, at the end end, when his face is almost clearly revealed. I'm not exactly sure. There are a couple of frames where he's got the gun on Keaton, where it's clearly Kevin Spacey. But that doesn't happen until Kuyan is already chasing Verbal out of the police station because he's made a connection. I'm not sure if he's made a full connection because he didn't get to see the police sketch, the police artist sketch that came through the fax, the fax machine in 1995. Mm. He hadn't seen it. Mm. All he knew was that Verbal was making up a story from whole cloth based on all the stuff in the office and raced out the door to chase him down. Do you think that it was because he thought that Verbal was living up to his name, making up a story to avoid testifying in court because, oh, if I do that, Kaiser Sozi will pick me up in a second. Do you think that Kaiser, he thought that Kaiser was still after him or that he had made the full connection and didn't need to see that fax? Kaiser Soze is picking me up in a second? He said, the second I leave, Kaiser Soze is going to pick me up. I'll take my chances. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were making some reference to Kobayashi actually being Kaiser Soze. Yeah. Which is also not beyond the idea of, I mean, we're not really sure because Kobayashi definitely isn't Kobayashi. Pete Postlethwaite in the Jaguar could be anybody. But in, in terms of our visual narrative of Ferbal's tale, he is Kobayashi, a name picked off the bottom of a coffee mug. True, but still an associate of Kaiser Sose and not Kaiser Sose himself. Mm, I guess so, yeah. I mean, the assumption is that Verbal is Kaiser Sose. Yep. And do you know who who knew that the entire time? The only two people who knew that the entire time? Who? Our director, Brian Singer, and Kevin Spacey, who decided that Verbal would be Kaiser Sose. Everyone else, supposedly... Every single other cast member at some point was convinced that they were Kaiser Soze. Wait, <laughs> what? This is like some mind game that the film crew was playing on the talent? That Brian Singer and Christopher McQuarrie were kind of messing with people? In fact, Gabriel Byrne was so convinced that he was Kaiser Soze. Gabriel Byrne, by the way, being the undoubted lead in this movie. As Keaton, he's the main character. And until, obviously, what we learn about Kevin Spacey and who Kevin Spacey became later, arguably the biggest star to come out of The Usual Suspects, Gabriel Byrne was so convinced that he was Kaiser Soze, he sat down to the premiere, fully convinced, and was completely blindsided and, <laughs> and stormed out and yelled at Brian Singer in the parking lot for 30 minutes. No. Well, why would he be upset by that? Because he had told all his friends that he was Kaiser Soze? I'm sure. Maybe. I don't know. He, Yeah, he became the pawn to the character that he thought he was playing. That's so bizarre. I mean, you said they read the script. Did they read different versions of the script? It's it's possible. Or it's possible of the ambiguity that they got certain scripts. I'm not really sure. Because I don't know that this was entirely locked to the script. I know there was a lot of ad lib, the famous lineup scene was almost uh, entirely improvised and they're cracking up and stuff and pissing Brian Singer off and, and he's just like, well, I'm, I'm going to go with it. Benicio Del Toro reportedly farted no less than like 12 takes in a row and everybody was no. cracking up. Yeah. These are the legends. It's one of those movies that's swirled in legend and has as many behind the scenes <laughs> stories as it does in front. Because before Fenster even speaks, Gabriel Byrne is laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and then Fenster laughs and then the rest of the cast laughs. But it's like I, it, Gabriel Byrne was definitely telegraphing, I guess, what was happening you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, who knows what take that was? And then factor in Benicio <laughs> Del Toro's performance as Fenster, and I'm sure that it was, they, I'm sure they had a hard time getting through that scene because they were having so much fun. It is a hilarious lineup and such a wonderful introduction of all the characters. 
how different they are. Uh, Hockney's complete deadpan reading yeah. of the line. <laughs> you know, McManus is frenetic and kind of psychopathic. And then Verbal is terrifying. Sure. He's ultimately terrifying when he reads that line. Yeah. But it's it's preceded by him dismissing the whole thing. It's like, it was bullshit that they pulled us all together. And then he gives the menacing performance. And it offsets it enough so that you don't suspect. <laughs> you don't suspect what it's actually foreshadowing. Exactly. It was very deliberate, I think, because we spent less time trying to figure out which of the usual suspects. A Motley crew for sure. Like, they did, they did not seem like they would be the dudes who would all join together in a crime. But we spent less time trying to figure out who Kaiser Soze was and more trying to figure out, you know, like, what? What were we trying to figure out? We were on the journey with Agent Kuyan, and he's like, I'm smarter than you. I'm going to get Keaton. You know, he has this agenda that ultimately blinds him to what's actually going on, but we're figuring things out with Kuyan. Yep. Right, and I don't quite fully still understand what the FBI's role was in the investigation. Giancarlo, talk about baby, Giancarlo Esposito looks like a kid as Jack Bear in this film, but what exactly is his role? Jack Bear, the the Giancarlo Esposito character, is an FBI agent who's investigating the explosion in the harbor and all these dead bodies and stuff who comes across the Hungarian Arkosh Kovash, who he already knows. And Arkosh Kovash says the name Kaiser Soze. And he's like, what? Get me Agent Dave Kuyan. Because if mm. anybody is an FBI suspect, it's Kaiser Soze. Right. But man, if Kaiser Soze is one of the all-time great, scariest villains in terms of just legend, gotta say Jack Bear was number two in the most inspired villains in cinema and television history. You're talking Giancarlo Esposito yep. from Breaking Bad fame. As well as, he's even Moff Gideon in The Mandalorian. I like how you always pick all of the television shows that I don't watch. <laughs> how far are you into The Mandalorian? We're all the way through the existing things, but it just, that was a happy accident. I didn't seek it out because I was like, oh, Giancarlo Esposito's in it. So, <sighs> ask Iris about the usual suspects. Is it too dense so as to prohibit fun? Oh, the density is part of the fun. Is it? Verbal Kent's verbal onslaught is uh, delivered in such a way to be a ride. Yeah, but I think it can be alienating because it was tough for me as a you know a 19 year old in 1995 trying to get through this movie and figure out all the angles. Like I said, I've watched it many times. It's not really fair. I asked my English teacher who was reading uh, Hearts of Darkness, I asked, how do you read books like this that are so dense? And she said, it's just practice. It's not magical because it wasn't the Stephen King that I was accustomed to. And so I'm at a point now where the usual suspects is just familiar. Well, despite it being dense, the main plot points are very accessible. And I think that you can walk away with a general understanding upon a first viewing, which is enough, I think, to have made it successful. And then for the repeat viewing, there's more. So it's kind of nice in that way. So uh, we love Pete Postlethwaite and Miss Pete Postlethwaite. What accent was he trying to do? I don't think that he was an Irish guy, and I don't think that was his native accent. So was it faux Japanese? Is that racist? <laughs> uh, the name is definitely confusing, although it makes sense when you see the Kobayashi porcelain. Redfoot clearly calls him a limey, so he's British. Okay. Is it, is it a clue, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm going for. 
his funny accent? Yeah, and I don't know that he was even on point the whole time. Maybe I just don't have a good ear for, wait, Irish is, limey is Irish, right? Uh, limey refers to seafarers who were, would suck on lime so as not to get scurvy on the on the seas. You had a pirate I think accent. To, I think it's <laughs> I think it's Pan Britain, which includes Ireland and Scotland. Okay, look, there's also a movie called The Limey. I always thought I don't that know if was you're allowed Irish. to say Limey. Can you say oh, Limey? Well, there's a movie called it. And he, you said he calls him a Limey in this movie. All I'm saying is that I assumed based on my life knowledge, that a limey referred to an Irish person because I thought it referred to Limerick in Ireland. Nope. Anyways. I know that you love Pete. I know that you love Petey. And he's an inception in the town. He's got these great roles. But to me, he really is Kobayashi. And so this is how Pete Postlethwaite, Pete speaks. (laughs) This is how he speaks. (laughs) So I don't think the accent sounds weird. Okay. Was it a clue that Hockney, played by Kevin Pollack, is the only one who does the Kaiser Soze sideways gun thing? Kaiser Soze distinctively does it. And honestly, I wonder if it was an early to mid-90s thing. It's like a swag move yeah. with a gun? And it was it was short-lived because I think it's really inaccurate, but it looks cool. But it, look, it looks a little bit silly now that Kaiser Soze did it. So was that supposed to be a misdirect? I don't know. Kevin Pollack? Because if everybody thought that they were Kaiser Soze at one point, it's a little bit awkward for me to think that Kevin Pollack thought he was Kaiser Soze, but <laughs> I guess it's possible. But I thought I wondered okay. if you thought that was a clue. No, I just thought that that was like a mean bad guy thing to do. So I, I defeated this movie in two ways. Aside from me decoding, deciphering this movie one minute in to determine who Kaiser Soze is, I actually tracked Kaiser Soze. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. And I actually found Kaiser Soze decades later, after he disappeared. Where? I'm working at E1, producing reality television. And someone was saying something, and I asked who would know about it. And he said, uh, someone's go ask Scott. And I was like, "Who's which one is Scott? He says, Kaiser Soze. And I said, what? So this editor at E1 named Scott, he had a bar cart in his editing bay. And on Fridays, he would truck out the bar cart and everybody would have a drink and hang out in his bay. And he was like, good guy, Scott. His name is Scott Morgan. And he's the dude, the only one of everybody, including the people who thought they were Kaiser Soze. He's the only one actually credited as Kaiser Soze on IMDb, albeit in flashback. So the long-haired Turkish horrifying backed by flames <laughs> Kaiser Soze. The bad guys don't look at explosions. Right. I saw that dude decades later. <laughs> Scott B. Morgan, Kaiser Soze in flashback, uncredited. How can you be uncredited and have a credit? Oh, because it's not credited in the film. He's credited on IMDb. I found Kaiser Soze decades later. Were you like starstruck? No, because I didn't know the dude. I met him and, I, and then I avoided him after ever after because he was Kaiser Soze and also because I don't drink very much at all. So I didn't have much use for the bar cart and he wasn't on my show. He's a producer these days, but you're right. He was an editor and he has one actor credit <laughs> <laughs> as the most menacing villain of all time. He was an intern on The Usual Suspects That's in something, 1985. Huh? Wow. 
I mean, I was an intern and then became an actor, <laughs> but I didn't get to become Kaiser Sose. Wait, you were in a movie starring The Rock, who is the highest paid actor in Hollywood. I was also in a movie with Danny Masterson in 2000. Don't tell wasn't people that. was around that. the time of his... Don't t- tell people that? that. No, it's a survival story because I got away. Oh. Well, he's not the only rapist, allegedly, that you've evaded. Really? Yeah. Who else? Dude, David Copperfield had Rape Island. Man, you met Kaiser Soze and you lived to see another day. Yep, because I never spoke to him again and never revealed myself. (laughs) That's so crazy. So Brian Singer just, you know, plucked someone out of his obscurity. I'm sure he was stoked to, like, don the wig and hold some prop guns and stuff like that. But he could have gotten anybody. I mean, that literally, Kaiser Soze could have been a hat on a stick. (laughs) Referencing, of course, our review on Raiders of the Lost Ark, available now at or whatever movies. Okay, so on that note, how is the usual suspects related to, so we we connected it with Seven already. How is the usual suspects related to Pulp Fiction? Only a year prior, maybe two years prior. I don't know, but I know how the usual suspects is connected to Clueless. Oh, yeah? That's interesting. Sure. You got me. It comes in the form of Peter Green, who starred as Redfoot. Oh, okay. Let's talk Redfoot. Zed. Redfoot was Zed? Who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. That Zed? Yep. And you're like, okay, well, it's an actor who was in, that's kind of a tenuous connection, right? That's kind of light. Except McManus confronts Redfoot after saying, telling everybody he was going to kill him, throws him the dope. Because, of course, when they intercepted the dope exchange in, in anticipation of getting money, there was no money. All there was was dope. So he throws the dope at Redfoot and says, what am we supposed to do with this? And Redfoot says, I don't know. Why don't you give it to the gimp? It's the second Peter Green gimp reference in two movies in the 90s. (laughs) I'm going to say that that's still pretty tenuous, Wes. (laughs) Okay. Although this is also your second GIMP connection in or whatever movies. Yeah. Can you say GIMP? Uh, Well, the problem is they say GIMP. (sighs) Cripple. You can't even say cripple. You have to. We have to complete this loop here. Disabled. Because you also reference differently abled people between Pulp Fiction (laughs) and People Under the Stairs, part of our Halloween 2022 offering. I'm sure lots of people have listened to that discussion. Yeah, of course they have. But I'm saying for those who haven't, this is the second GIMP cross-reference in or whatever movie's history. <laughs> See, you want to you clarify it and, and, and PCify it. I say we just move on. All right, go for it. How could this movie possibly be connected? Oh, Dan Hedaya. Right, who, as Jeff Rabin, delivers the best line in the film. Oh, yeah? What's that? Yeah. Dave, you got nothing. <laughs> which perfectly sums up the whole movie if you think it's a dream is it after verbal left yeah he had nothing but he had really had everything he just didn't know it yet he, but he also kind of had nothing if you think it's all a dream dave kuyan's like it's all right he'll know how close we were and i guess it all comes down to the main question the ultimate question is this all a dream? The only thing, so let's, we know what we can absolutely go by. And that is that as presented, uh, Dave Kuyan has no concept for Kobayashi, but Kaiser Soze does. And so he plugs. You mean, he, you mean, he, but he does for Kaiser Soze. 
right, in a Rashomon kind of sense, whose memory or whose vision are we seeing? Is it Verbal's? Is it Kuyan's? Because Kobayashi or whoever that person, played by Pete Postlethwaite, is in the car, he exists for sure. That's what we know for sure. We know that Kaiser Soze had a gold lighter and a gold uh, cigarette case, and Verbal has those things too. Um but, a gold watch. But gold Verbal's watch. narration distinctly goes away in the second half of this film. So I think it's a little bit left up to interpretation who, whose vision we're seeing, to your point. I think that we're intended to be seeing Verbal's explanation of what happened through Verbal's lens, right? Except that there's a lot of third-party view of Verbal. But I, what I think is that we are essentially seeing what really happened, except that Verbal adds some color and some filler and some segues that he's just making up along the way. But ultimately, I don't think that this is all made up. I think it's kind of very similar to what actually happened. But Verbal's cover is so deep that he isn't afraid to, to tell it. Right. And this is the brilliance of this script. He also, in doing so, deflects suspicion from himself. Why would he? Me, I'm a stupid, I'm a cripple or whatever. And he has Kuyan so thoroughly believing, thinking that he came to his own conclusions, May connected the dots. He gave him the dots to connect to confirm in his mind what he had already suspected, which is that Keaton is Kaiser Soze. And enough so that he's begging Verbal to testify and to, to stay and be protected and that he is the only chance that Verbal has. When in fact, it's quite the opposite. You know what? I changed my mind. I think Pete Postle... Post, Pete Postlethwaite. I don't know why you keep trying. Postlethwaite. Postlethwaite? <laughs> I think that Pete Postle... Pete Postlethwaite's character is... Kaiser Sosa, you want to you wanna know why? Okay. Because... He understands Inception, which then he carries over into the Christopher Nolan film. Yeah, the twisty sort of detective type movies or crime thriller type movies. No, where you literally plant the answer in someone's mind, i.e. Agent Kuyan, so that he can come to his own conclusion and think it's his. Okay, there you go. Pos. Pos. <laughs> this is the poster quote. <laughs> Just a bunch of you going, pos, pasta, pos. <laughs> Possible plate is actually the mastermind behind the concept of Inception. Man. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so I've been over this, this screenplay a million times. Gabriel Byrne, the Keaton character, decides they have this plan in place. And McManus is going to be up top with the sniper rifle and singing about old McDonald. Donald shot some guys. But, and everybody's in place for this, this heist, which they thought was going to be to stop cocaine, which is going to mess up Kaiser Soze's enterprise. And they get to keep the money. Yeah. Any, any money that changes hands. Of course, there is no money. They're actually going to stop a, a witness, the one that Edie Finneran was working out the extradition deal for, from testifying yeah. against Kaiser Soze, who was Arturo Marquez, the Argentinian rat, in the bowels of the ship. I'm telling you, it's Kaiser Soze! But... What is Keaton's plan of strolling down into the middle of the heavily armed dudes and like bumming a cigarette? I don't remember the bumming the cigarette part. He goes down there the and just starts who's... chatting with dudes who supposedly have a $91 million drug deal going down. Well, they don't know that he knows that. Presumably he's a dude who's in a pensive mood and wants to take a stroll along the harbor and clear his mind. And talk to a bunch of and dudes. And then he... Well, they, they approach him because they're like, what are you doing here? 
And then he's like, nothing. I'm not nothing. Dude, for that, for an operation of that size, especially to protect an informant, they would have, they'd be on the walkie and they'd be like, we got a bogey, nine o'clock incoming, right? They'd know that that dude was, he can't just stroll in there. Am I wrong? (laughs) Uh, Is it far-fetched? Maybe. I mean, is it more far-fetched than the idea that some organization would pay $91 million for a witness? Well, it was just a, that was just a, it was just smoke. It was a story to get them motivated. It could be $10 worth of Coke. There was still no Coke on that boat. But there was a whole bunch of money in that truck. Yeah. So it's not like the money was a total fiction. Right. Which presumably Kaiser Soze took when he took that van. Correct. There's enough confusion and enough puzzle pieces that you can put together, but it all holds up pretty well. A script that's so tightly wound, I was afraid to kind of release that spring. I was afraid that it would be, I would be a mess of it and I would try to make sense and it would just be all over the place. But one that really requires diligence and I'm not even sure one or two viewings, regardless of how smart you are. I don't claim to be smart. I claim to have seen it so many times that I finally understood it. And thus, you now have a glimpse into the mind of Christopher McQuarrie, which we will continue to explore in Christopher McQuarrie Month at or whatever movies and your final rating is definitely a totally for the audacity of this screenplay because i was told going into producing that when you're presenting things to the viewer it's not hitting the audience over the head with a hammer you have to hit them over the head with a bag of hammers and this is not a bag of hammers movie this is a single hammer hidden in a toolbox of a bunch of other stuff that you have to uncover and use each you know the the, you use the one right tool I don't know if that's a good analogy, but it's a movie analogy. <laughs> I think it was a little, it was a little all over the place, but I, I'm picking up what you're putting it's, down. It's a movie analogy, and it's so good you risk having people be like, I don't know, I, I don't understand it, and then not taking it seriously. Which I think is the, it's what's holding back my genius and success from the world is people just don't understand it. And kudos to Chris McQuarrie for making that happen, for taking his own thing that was clearly, you know, inspired solely from his brain and his love of movies and making it accessible and a classic, an Oscar award winning classic screenplay that required a leap of faith. For that reason, I will give The Usual Suspects a totally, even though it was probably the longest totally in the making for any movie we reviewed so far. 28 years of toil. To achieve that totally. Meaning if I had asked you 10, 15 years ago, you might have said something something different? Uh, if I had reviewed it critically at that point, I probably would have come to the same conclusion. By that time, it would have at least solidified its status as a classic. But still, you know, it all comes with age and knowing that Christopher McQuarrie has cut his teeth on twisty sort of spy adventure movies like this since. Hmm. I don't ever remember a time where I was like flummoxed or or frustrated. I found it to be pretty entertaining, enjoyable, even accessible from the start. That being said, I did go through like a period of time where I was like, ah, that's, you know, what a gimmick. Oh, it was a cheap trick for some reason. And now I don't connect to that anymore. I don't think it was a gimmick. The Usual Suspects was a, a telling of a real story that was colored by fake things delivered in like a bald-faced, really risky kind of way that was so deeply covered that we would have never gotten it. I don't know if that makes sense. The most unreliable narrator. Yep. And the most notorious villain. And for that reason, I definitely give The Usual Suspects 
a good. And that's our discussion on The Usual Suspects. The first in our Christopher McQuarrie month series. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please let us know 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric acid.